reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to part two of the show. In the minds of many, the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer is often equated with suffering, pain, and death. Today, though, the five-year survival rate for all types of cancer has improved to 65%. A lot more patients have significant extensions of their lives, as well as a higher quality of their remaining lives. This is certainly true for metastatic breast cancer. Although it's unlikely to be cured, there are meaningful improvements in survival thanks to newer and more effective therapies. In fact, the median overall survival is now slightly over three years and ranges from a few months to many years. On today's show, we'll have the opportunity to once again hear from Dr. Sarah Hurwitz. She's a specialist in oncology and hematology. Dr. Hurwitz serves as the Director of Breast Oncology at the Johnson Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of California, Los Angeles. She'll further explain the three main biologic subgroups of breast cancer and specifically metastatic breast cancer. Each subgroup offers certain treatment choices, advantages, and side effects. Thanks to the explosive growth of precision medicine, these therapies prolong life, and even newer drugs with better outcomes are on the horizon. Aches and Gains is supported by Horizon Therapeutics, Daiichi Sankyo, Boston Scientific, and the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. Dr. Sarah Herbitz is a professor of medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles. She specializes in treating women with breast cancer and leads multiple clinical trials testing new targeted therapies. Dr. Herbitz, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Let's now delve into HER2 positive breast cancer, that is human epidermal growth factor receptor 2 positive breast cancer. What kind of specific medications are available? And let's start with Herceptin or Trastuzumab. Yes, HER2 positive breast cancer has, it was originally defined in 1987 when it was discovered um, by my boss at UCLA, Dr. Slayman, um, that about 25% of breast cancers are characterized with a too many copies of the HER2 gene, which leads to overexpression or too much protein on the cell surface of this protein called HER2. Mm-hmm. HER2 is, is something that's expressed on all of our cells, but on cancer cells that have this amplification event, there's, there's you know, a logfold higher amount of the HER2 expression on the cell surface, and this leads to a more aggressive disease biology, faster growth, more likelihood of lymph node positivity at the time of diagnosis, Mm -hmm. worse survival outcomes. And this was all quite a sad and scary story in the 80s and 90s when patients um, would hear about this and find out they had HER2-positive disease until this drug in the late 90s was developed, and it's an antibody. Mm -hmm. 
people are hearing a lot about antibodies now because of COVID, but antibodies are a natural immune protein response to foreign substances. So they generated an antibody um, and you infuse it in the patient and it targets HER2. So it goes around and it, it links onto those cells that have too much HER2 expression and allows the cancer cell to die. It works best when given with chemotherapy and it was actually shown in the registrational study in the 90s mm-hmm. to significantly improve how long a woman would live with metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer when given with chemo. Okay. So it was FDA-approved in 98 for metastatic disease and in 2006 for early stage or non-metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer. Since that time, we've seen the FDA approval of seven additional therapies that target HER2. Wow. And as I mentioned earlier, we're seeing now the median overall survival associated with this subtype of breast cancer go from the worst prognosis to now the best prognosis with the longest survival. Well, that's excellent news. About how long is this survival? Well, for metastatic breast cancer, our more modern trials um, from the time of original diagnosis, somewhere around five years is the median overall survival. And keeping in mind median means that half of the patient's survive shorter than five years, but half are much longer. Mm -hmm. I have a patient who's been living with metastatic HER2-positive disease for 15 years. I had a a patient who died a few years ago in her 80s who who lived with it for 22 years. Mm. So we are seeing very long survival in some patients with this subtype. That's incredible. Now, is trastuzumab or Herceptin given intravenously? It is. Most of the HER2-targeted therapies are. However, there are three HER2-targeted agents that are pills. Um, They're small molecules, and they get inside the cancer cell and target HER2 on the inside of the receptor. Mm -hmm. And those are lapatinib, neratinib, and the most recently FDA-approved one, tucatinib. And I'm going to ask you about tucatinib very shortly. Before that, though, talk to us about pertuzumab, another monoclonal antibody that targets the HER2 receptor. Pertuzumab targets HER2 just like trastuzumab does, but it blocks HER2 at a different part on the HER2 receptor. It blocks HER2 where HER2 interacts with or dimerizes with HER3. Uh-huh. And so it blocks that signaling um, that's stimulated by HER2, HER3 interaction. Studies have indicated if you give trastuzumab and pertuzumab together, they're synergistic, okay. meaning one plus one equals three, not, not two. <laughs> right. And so studies have indicated when you give those together, you actually get better outcomes. And it is FDA approved for all stages of HER2-positive breast cancer now. Now, I did read that it's associated with quite a bit of diarrhea. The rates of diarrhea are higher in patients treated with pertuzumab um, combined with trastuzumab compared to patients who are just getting the trastuzumab. Mm-hmm. Um, slightly higher, but it's not as bad as the diarrhea that we see with the pill formulations. I was just talking about those small molecule, what we call tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Mm-hmm. Neratinib and lapatinib have much higher rates of diarrhea associated with them because they are hitting a receptor called HER1 or EGFR, and that can lead to a lot of diarrhea. Okay, now let's look at one of the newer treatments called unher That's the brand name, it was granted a fast-tracked 
designation by the FDA and approved in 2019 based on very compelling studies. I believe this is an antibody drug conjugate, a very intriguing molecule. Can you describe it for us? It is famtrastuzumab directs TCAN, which is a mouthful. It's easier to say TDXD, <laughs> um, which is, is the sort of abbreviation. Um, and this is, uh, as you said, an antibody drug conjugates. Antibody drug conjugates, as I mentioned earlier, I think of them as smart bombs or Trojan horses. Uh-huh. They're antibodies with the chemo loaded on them so that the chemo isn't activated until it gets into the cancer cell that is bearing the antigen it's targeting. Mm-hmm. So in, in this case, it's a trastuzumab type of antibody linked to a chemo, which is a, what we call a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. So it's, it's a very potent chemotherapy. And it sees the HER2 on the cancer cell, binds to it. It's taken up inside that HER2 positive cancer cell. The payload, the, the, the bomb goes off. Mm-hmm. And this <laughs> bomb is actually allowed to leave the cancer cell as it's dying. It's membrane permeable. It can just go on outside, and it kills nearby cancer cells that may not have as high a HER2 expression. Well, this particular drug is a great example of precision therapy that we use in medicine. Uh, Dr. Hurwitz, what was so compelling or so promising about that particular study that led the FDA to approve it quickly? So the FDA um, gave this drug accelerated approval just over a year ago now based on a very promising phase two clinical trial in which very, very heavily pretreated patients with metastatic HER2 positive breast cancer received this drug every three weeks as IV and over 60% of the patients had either their disease completely disappear or substantially shrink. Mm -hmm. This kind of objective response rate is something that's not been heard of in oncology. We get excited if, if we see 15 to 20% of patients have disease shrinkage at this late stage. So it was truly a phenomenal result. That's wonderful and very encouraging for patients with HER2 metastatic breast cancer. What's the lifespan like for patients on this particular therapy? The median progression-free survival is like 19 months. We would get excited with six or seven months at that stage in the game. Uh So it really did blow things out of the water. (laughs) Um, It does have toxicity that needs to be carefully monitored. However, something called interstitial lung disease Mm -hmm. or pneumonitis, which is inflammation of the lungs, it can kind of mimic COVID, in fact. And it was associated with death in 2.7% of patients. So it's something that clinicians and patients have to be very, very careful to watch for if there's any shortness of breath or cough or fever on this drug. The drug needs to be stopped. That's important information. Now let's delve into another interesting new therapy called 2-catinib. I think you referred to that earlier. It's another drug that inhibits the HER2 receptor. Yes, exactly. It's one of these pill formulations I was talking about. It's a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. So if you picture the HER2, the the receptor, HER2, Mm -hmm. part of it's on the outside of the cell, but the action end of it is its legs are sticking on the inside of the cancer cell. And that's the part that really activates those, those signaling pathways inside the cancer cell. So anything that ends with nib, 
naratinib, lapatinib, and tucatinib are small molecules that are chemicals, they're pills that can go inside the cancer cell and, and tackle the legs on the inside. The problem with chemicals is it's really hard to make them super specific to only hit the thing you're going after. That's why neratinib and lapatinib are hitting other things like EGFR, HER1, and causing toxicity. Tucatinib came along, and it was, it was very novel because it was formulated to specifically go after HER2 and spare those other receptors we don't want to hit. And that's why we're seeing reduced toxicity with it. Mm-hmm. The other benefit is it appears to get into the blood-brain barrier, which can have implications for patients with brain mets. It, it can get in there and, and act against the cancer inside the brain. Well, this seems like an even more effective therapy because it's so specific and can also get into the brain. After the break, we'll ask Dr. Hurwitz about whether this therapy can be used alone, that is, as a monotherapy, or whether it has to be used with other specific therapies. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Horizon Therapeutics, who believes that science and compassion must work together to transform lives for people living with rare and rheumatic diseases. Discover more about Horizon's mission at horizontherapeutics.com. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. Dr. Herbitz, does this particular medication, 2-catinib, have to be used with other therapies or can it be used alone? There have been studies looking at its monotherapy activity, which are modest. Um, Its best activity has been an oral chemo, capecitabine, also known as Zolota, plus the oral tucatinib, plus the IV trastuzumab. You know, I've read about the clinical development of HER2 vaccines that stimulate the immune system to kill cancer cells. Do you see them coming anytime soon? Yeah, a lot of that work has been done through um, the U.S. Army, actually, and they are showing very interesting and exciting data indicating that they, they may prevent relapse from HER2-positive early-stage breast cancer. That's really encouraging. Now let's talk about triple-negative breast cancer. That's when the breast cancer lacks estrogen receptors, progesterone receptors, and the HER2-positive receptors. Are there any specific therapies for triple negative breast cancer? You know, if we were talking a year and a half, two years ago, I'd say no, and it would be very sort of a a quick conversation, somewhat grim, Mm -hmm. Um, but we are beginning to see some glimmers of hope here. Good. Um, First of all, for patients who carry a BRCA mutation, which is 5 to 10% of all patients with breast cancer and and a higher percentage, maybe 15 to 20% of patients with triple negative breast cancer carry a BRCA mutation, Mm -hmm. we have a class of drugs called PARP inhibitors, which are pills that go after the machinery in a cancer cell that has effective DNA repair, which is what BRCA mutations cause. So that's a targeted therapy, fairly well tolerated. Okay. Now, in addition to PARP, P-A-R-P inhibitors, I'm aware of a new cancer treatment that targets trope 2, trophoblast cell surface antigen 2. This particular protein is increased or overexpressed in a variety of cancer cells, such as breast cancer, and it's linked to increased tumor growth and proliferation. Dr. Hervitz, talk to us about this particular novel targeted therapy against this protein. 
we had the approval of the first antibody drug conjugate for triple negative breast cancer called sasituzumab govitekin um, or trodelvi. Mm-hmm. Again, another mouthful. <laughs> um, this too is like a Trojan horse or smart bomb. It's an antibody that's targeting a protein on the cancer cells known as TROPE2, T-R-O-P-2, carrying um, a a chemotherapy similar to the TDXD, a topoisomerase-1 inhibitor. And um, so they did a large phase 3 clinical trial where some of the patients got this drug and some got just single-agent chemotherapy, and they showed that the patients who got this sastituzumab actually had, um, you know, a higher chance of having the disease shrink a longer progression-free survival, and importantly, a significantly longer overall survival. So that's now available to our patients who've already been treated with two different lines of therapy for metastatic disease. That's impressive. Let's now talk about the immune system. There is a protein on cancer cells called PDL1. This particular protein allows the tumor cell to essentially evade our immune system. There are exciting new monoclonal antibodies, though, that actually block the activity of these proteins and allow our immune system to target cancer cells and destroy them. The first drug that was FDA approved is atezolizumab, Mm -hmm. the second immune checkpoint inhibitor approved for triple negative breast cancer, hembrolizumab, again, for patients who have pdl one expression and, again, given in combination with chemo, although the choice of chemo is a bit broader. We have to take a break now, but when we come back, have you wondered whether these amazing targeted therapies increase quality of life or not? Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, which leads in determining, providing, and supporting evidence-based prescribing and deprescribing of benzodiazepines to significantly reduce their adverse outcomes. An educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. And we're back. We're here with Dr. Sarah Hurwitz. She's an oncologist and professor of medicine at UCLA. Dr. Hurwitz, have the treatments for metastatic breast cancer provided a good quality of life for patients, or do they often lead to side effects that limit their quality of life? Fortunately, for the majority of the therapies that we've seen approved in the last handful of years, there has been a clear demonstration that improving the control of the disease has been associated with improved quality of life, that mm-hmm. these agents aren't making patients feel so sick that they wish they weren't on them. Right. There is sort of this balance that is being achieved. So I'm happy to see that the FDA is requiring um, that outcome measure be rolled into ongoing studies. Yeah, I agree. I think it's critical. Are the treatments that we've been talking about, these targeted therapies, expensive, and do insurance companies typically cover them? Yes. And usually. It helps when there's more than one therapy for in a given class of medication mm-hmm. because that can drive down the cost with competition. Right. And as drugs come off patent, we're able to have generation of generics or biosimilars, which presumably also brings down the cost. Mm-hmm. Is paying for these therapies benefiting society? A lot of times, yes, because work productivity goes up. So you have to take a global look at it. And there are a lot of people People trained to do so to help assess whether or not an agent meets that criteria. Right. So they certainly may be worth the cost. 
I read that HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer has quite a high risk of spread, somewhere around the range of 40% spread to the central nervous system, that is to the brain and spinal cord. We talked earlier about a targeted therapy called 2-catsinib, which improves survival in patients with metastatic brain disease. What other treatments are available? You're right. Um, We have the ability to do surgery, so some patients will have the tumors resected from the brain. Mm -hmm. We can do something called stereotactic radiosurgery where radiation is focused just at the brain mats, and then we can do whole brain radiation. But I I really like the targeted therapy approach because it, it treats the cancer everywhere, not just the brain. And, you know, it's something that may have less toxicity, for example, than doing brain surgery or whole brain radiation. Absolutely. And how about steroids? Steroids are very effective adjunctive therapy for breast cancer, brain metastases. It can turn a patient around who's having nausea and vomiting and severe headaches and edema surrounding the tumors in the brain to feeling almost normal within a day. Mm-hmm. Steroids can also be used for things like significant bone pain as well. What about the opioids? I mean, have you been more reluctant to use opioids because of the opioid crisis and fears of overdose, dependency, or addiction? I think we all have to be very aware of the opioid crisis, but when we're dealing with somebody who has metastatic breast cancer with severe bone pain, Mm -hmm. the opioids are one of the most important classes of drugs we have to palliate the symptoms from that serious type of pain. Right. Of course, we're keeping in mind very carefully who's in the household who has access to these. We have to go on the DEA website and make sure the patients aren't getting opioids from other sources and attest to that online. We're using less fentanyl and agents that are very, very high risk and utilizing a palliative care nurse practitioner as well as pain specialists to assist me with this Mm -hmm. as they're highly specialized in training in terms of how to manage cancer pain. What's your experience with medicinal cannabis? I prefer patients not to smoke because of the spores that are in marijuana that can then, in somebody who's taking immune suppressive therapy, can lead to fungal infections in the lungs, for example. So Mm -hmm. I prefer edibles, but I also warn patients that the potency varies from batch to batch. But on the whole, I think these are agents that I'm comfortable with them using. I have to say, I think the anti-nausea effects of these drugs are probably less potent than the anti-nausea prescription drugs that we have, but I I don't have a problem with patients utilizing it. And the prescription drugs that we use can actually help patients gain weight who have cancer or HIV. Dr. Hurwitz, do you feel like the pain of metastatic breast cancer can be controlled for the most part, especially at the end of life? Yes, I do believe the pain can be controlled in the majority of, of cases. It's really important to have a multidisciplinary team involved, especially toward the end of life, to address those needs. And that includes the utilization of resources such as hospice and having caregivers in the home. Palliative care is a growing field, I think, to help us address it. But I do think we have a variety of tools available to help us address pain. We do. And I think that one of those tools includes interventions like specific nerve blocks and even pain pumps that can significantly reduce pain and improve quality of life. 
But finally, is there hope for increased survival in patients with metastatic breast cancer? We're already seeing the reality of increased survival with HER2-positive metastatic disease. I think we're going to see the same type of survival benefits in the coming years unfold due to the improved drugs we have available for ER-positive breast cancer mm-hmm. with drugs like sasituzumab and potentially immune therapy for triple negative as well as all of these studies in the phase one setting looking at new therapies for triple negative. My hope is that within the next three to five years, we'll begin to break that glass ceiling in triple negative breast cancer. Outstanding discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.